Welcome to the Bible Mind Podcast, where we seek to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and to see everything in life from a biblical mindset. Hi everyone, Theopolis here. Actually, I'm back at home again. I went on a trip through the southern region of America, saw a lot of great cities, visited some museums, learned more about the Civil War and Civil Rights Movement, things like that, visited the great state of Florida. I went all the way down to Key West, which is the southernmost point of the United States. It was an amazing trip. And just to let you know, uh, while I was down there, I had zero problems with anybody. Most of the people that I met were really nice, courteous. Whenever you go into a store, you hear, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. So the South was just really a great area. I think that travel is important because when you hear different things about a certain place or region, I mean, you don't really know exactly what's happening until you either hear from somebody who's been there or you go there yourself. Because once you go there, you see for yourself and you recognize that many of the things that you've heard, maybe they were exaggerated or misleading. It could be anything. But I know for myself, while I was down there, I had no problems with anybody. They were great. I never felt really unsafe. Well, I mean, there was this one area, but it was kind of sketchy anyways. But other than that, it was a very positive experience. So I will probably interject different things in future podcasts of the things that I saw, the insights that I came back with, because whenever I travel, I would describe myself like a sponge. I'm, I'm really kind of open to experience things, to see things, to understand things, to recognize what's going on in the area, to hear people talking. You know, I ask a lot of questions of people I get into conversations with, like, what do you think about this? What's it been like in the city? Have you noticed a change over the years? I ask things like that because I really want to understand the progression and the evolution of things that have happened in America and these different cities and these different areas. So I know that I've met some really cool people along the way and got into some good conversations. So those will probably be interjected in some of these future podcasts, but I would definitely recommend people going to visit the South. It's a really great experience. You'll learn a lot, but just not during the summer. I got in on that trip right before it gets super hot. Just do it in the spring or the fall. All right, well, and on to today's message. I'm going to talk about reason five, why Christians need to care about the Jews. And yes, I committed myself to five reasons. And I'm like, there surely must be five reasons. And the more I think about this particular reason, the more I think this is the most compelling reason of all. And it comes from God. And we're going to explore it deeper and further and go into Romans 9, 10, and 11. That's a passage where Paul really lays out the Jewish people, their right to exist, their right to exist on the land that God had promised them as an inheritance, the relationship that we as Gentiles are to have with the Jews and vice versa, how we are linked together. 
And over the past several weeks, we talked about all the different reasons why we as Christians need to care about the Jewish people. We covered a lot of ground. And so now we're going to come to this reason, which also involves this whole Palestinian-Israeli conflict in the Middle East that has been ongoing for quite some time, but has in recent time escalated. And now you find Christians being divided on the issues, falling on one side or the other. And it really makes me think of Joshua 5:13. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, are you for us or for our adversaries? This was at a time when Joshua and the people of Israel were about to go into the promised land and conquer the first city, which would be Jericho. And we have a lot of people right now taking sides like, oh, I'm for the Palestinians or I'm for Israel. Obviously, God would have been on the side of Joshua and the Israelites. But at the same time, he answered in this very strange way. In verse 14, it says, neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for her servant? Verse 15, the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And most people would consider this appearance as Christ before he became Jesus in the flesh. So pre-incarnate Christ, he basically committed to no position. He wasn't going to be for or against any group of people, but he had his own agenda to fulfill. And in a sense, we as Christians, we need to recognize what God's agenda is. It's not just about being for the Jews, although many of us are for the Jews and for Israel. But then other people, they have a sensitivity to the Palestinian cause. They care about what's happening with them, their struggles, all their perceived injustices. To whatever degree, that's legitimate as well, because a lot of these people, they're pawns on a chessboard. They're not the ones that are making the high-level decisions. They're not the ones that can control where the aid goes to. Billions of dollars have been given to the Palestinian cause, and yet their towns, their people have not improved in any way. So it's not like the money is going to the people who actually need it on the front lines. My point in saying all that is we're not just for Israel or for the Jews indiscriminately, like for some blind reason where we're not really thinking through uh, what's happening with the Palestinians, because of course we want to care about them as people who are struggling. The true motivation underneath everything of why we are for Israel is because of God's agenda, like what is he wanting to do in the Middle East? What is his purpose, his plan, his eternal purpose from the very beginning that will be made manifest and come to fulfillment in the end? So that's where we want to put our focus is God's expressed purpose that is found in his word. And that's part of having a biblical mindset instead of a worldly mindset which is the whole reason for this podcast called The Bible Mind. Before I go on any further, I want to clearly state what I think reason number five is. And when you look in Romans 9, 10, and 11, God makes it very clear 
that he has chosen the Jewish people. He did not choose the Arabs. He did not choose the descendants of Ishmael, but he chose the children of promise who were the descendants of Isaac. And that could be very offensive to many different people. So I just kind of want to put that forward at the very beginning. And I would call it the because I said so principle. And We know that term because you see it in a lot of movies. You probably heard it from your own parents. You may have wanted to go somewhere on Friday night and come back at 11 and your parents were like, no, you're going to come back at nine. You probably have asked them why. And maybe they didn't have a reason. They didn't even feel like they had a good reason, but they said, because I said so. And that should have sufficed, right? Because they're the authority figure in our lives. God throughout his whole Bible has given a multitude of reasons why he stands with the Jewish people. He will not leave them or forsake them. He is eternally committed to them. But in case we didn't get all that in Romans 9, 10, 11, he states it again. And he comes to the point where he says, it's because I said so. And the reason why I find that the most compelling reason of all is because We as finite creatures, especially we as Christians who want to obey the word of God and submit ourselves to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, ultimately, we do need to submit to that absolute authority. And the Jewish people, the state of Israel, the conflict surrounding Israel is one of those fork in the road situations where either we will submit to God's word and authority, or we will listen to the voices of the world. And we also have to remember that many of the people behind that movement, they have their own agenda. They have their own reasons why they're pushing for that whole Palestinian liberation. And a lot of it is because they want the nation of Israel to be destroyed. Looking back behind those people, we know that that's not just a human agenda, but it's a demonic and it's a satanic agenda because Satan was behind the Holocaust. Satan is behind what's happening right now, this conflict between the Palestinians and Israel to accuse Israel, to demonize Israel, and finally to destroy Israel because he doesn't want there to be an Israel. He doesn't want there to be Jewish people to call Jesus back into the land because Jesus did say in Matthew 23, 39 to the Jewish people to Israel. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the reception of Jesus back into Israel by the Jewish leadership is a prerequisite for Jesus to come back. Obviously, Satan doesn't want Jesus to come back because he knows that when that happens, his days are numbered and it will foil all of his plans concerning the Antichrist and world domination. And I want to go into that passage in Romans 9, starting from verse 6 all the way through verse 23. I want you to be thinking about what God is saying right here. He says, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham, are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So a lot of the Christians who are more on the progressive liberal leftist side, they're making this case for social justice issues because they're saying we're all made in the image of God. And so when there's discrimination against any group of people, any perceived minority, we are, I mean, even some people would use the word antichrist, 
because we're coming against the image of God in them. And yes, as mankind, we're all made in the image of God. And some people would say we're even all children of God. But here in this verse seven, it says, just because you're the seed of Abraham, it doesn't mean that you're all children, but in Isaac shall your seed be called. And social justice issues, social justice warriors, they conflate. And that word means they bring two elements together that I would say don't necessarily fit together, but once you accept one, then you have to accept the other. So a lot of perceived minorities are minorities because of lifestyle choices and sinful practices that the Bible doesn't condone. But because people are saying, oh, well, that's a minority that's being discriminated against. Of course, we care about people being discriminated against or treated badly. Then we have to accept that minority and protect them. But in doing so, then we're asked to accept a lifestyle choice that the Bible does not condone. So a lot of these social justice issues, they combine the two, which is how you find Christians standing alongside Black Lives Matter activists, somehow justifying violent protest because they want to protect African-American rights. Or you find Christians that are for the Palestinian cause, somehow defending Hamas and cooperating with a lot of what Hamas, which is a terrorist organization, is doing to fight, quote unquote, on behalf of the Palestinians. These are strategies that the enemy uses, and we don't have to buy into them. Like I've said for the longest time, I don't have to be a part of Black Lives Matter in order to care about African-American rights. In fact, my trip throughout the South was very eye-opening. I mean, I knew about a lot of things already, but it just brought it home more. And then I understood in a deeper way, all of the different wrongs that were committed against the African-Americans from very early on, and even the Native Americans that were in the land and, you know, the Americans making treaties with these Native Americans and then breaking them. And they kept pushing them west because they discovered more land that would be advantageous to them. So the Native Americans we're always getting the short end of the deal and we're always being pushed out and the broken promises all over the place. So I understand and I care about those things deeply, but I'm not gonna join myself to something that I don't agree with and that is Marxist in nature, which is the Black Lives Matter movement or Hamas that is a terrorist organization. They use terror in order to fulfill their ends. So in the same way, I think you could still care about the Palestinian people and their struggles without letting go of what the Bible clearly states about the Jews being God's people, the land that God had specifically given to the Jewish people, and that he is committed to fight for the Jewish people. We can't ever forget that because at the very end, the nations will surround Jerusalem in order to fight against Jerusalem. And God himself will rise up and fight against those nations. So it doesn't matter how justified they think they are in their thinking, as far as bringing all these nations right now against Israel. Many are sincere, but then many are, you know, using this 
situation as a vehicle to push forth their agenda. So in that way, you could say that they're insincere. They don't really care about the Palestinians. They don't care about their cause, but they're using this as a leverage point against Israel. But regardless of whether they're sincere or insincere, the point is they're wrong. If I can just say it as boldly and as clearly and plainly as they're wrong because God who is justice, God who is love, he knows what is right. And he is basically stating that to us clearly from his word. Going back to our original verse that we had just read, it's through Isaac that his people shall be called. Few people know about this, but even in the Quran, the Muslim holy book, Allah is seen there stating that this holy land was given to the nation of Israel. So I just want to read one passage from there. It says, remember Moses said to his people, oh, my people call in remembrance the favor of Allah unto you when he produced prophets among you, made you kings, and gave you what he had not given to any other among the peoples. O my people, enter the holy land which Allah hath assigned unto you, and turn not back, for then will you be overthrown to your own ruin. And that's Quran 5, 20, and 21. So just like many Christians in Christendom, the Muslims also have a replacement theology. Even though their own book, the Quran, says that Allah had given Israel this land, they feel too that Israel, the Jews, were disobedient, and they forfeited this inheritance that Allah had given them. And so now the Arabs are the chosen people, and they have the right to that holy land. So going back to that passage in Romans 9, that is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise, at this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. So again, Ishmael's descendants are not children of God. They're not the children of the promise. And in Galatians 4, Paul, from the beginning of the church, he stated that there would be this great persecution of Ishmael's descendants against Isaac's descendants. In verse 28 of Galatians 4, now we brethren as Isaac was are the children of promise. Verse 29, but as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. We need to take that into account that there's just going to be that ancient hatred between the Arabs and the Jews. It's been there. It continues to be there. There's this growing animosity right now between the two different people groups and it's going to come to a head in the future. It doesn't mean that there won't be pockets of Arab Christians that love Israel the way that God loves Israel. But that takes becoming a new creation and renewing your mind in the word of God. Because even though Arabs become Christians, they still may have longstanding cultural and historical influences that keep them locked in this kind of animosity towards Israel. So there are strongholds that have been built up in the culture. There are strongholds that have been built up in the mind because generations teach the next generation certain ways of thinking and feeling and 
interacting with the people groups around them. It's going to take the word of God to break through and to cause people to think the way that God thinks about these situations. And so I just encourage a lot of prayer for these Arab Christians as well, because I believe that many of them are sincere. They are coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ, but they have to let go of the cultural baggage, the historical baggage, the ancient animosities in order to embrace God's view of the Jewish people, which can only come from the word of God. But that's the same for us here in America. A lot of people have been polling different churches as far as their view on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And you have a lot of older Christians that say that they are for Israel. They were raised in the church, and that has been the longstanding message, and that has been the longstanding position. But they're finding more and more that among younger believers, fewer of them are making a stand for Israel. More and more of them are supporting the Palestinian cause. I've read a few articles. There are certain things in common among this people group. One, these may be the young people that don't go to church as often. And two, they are more informed or influenced by a social justice view of the world rather than a biblical worldview. With all the different podcasts that we've had at the Bible Mind podcast, that should raise up many red flags because... We're talking right now about having a worldview that is informed by the Bible rather than the voices of the world. The younger people that are listening more to the voices of the world, they tend to stand more with the Palestinian cause. You have a lot of liberal, leftist, progressive Christians standing more with the Palestinian cause. There's a reason for that is because the voices of the world have infiltrated into the church. And now you have a lot of quote unquote woke churches that they have the social gospel and they're all about social justice issues. But so very little of that is anchored by the Bible and the worldview that is presented by the Bible. That speaks volumes about what's going on and why there's a divide in the church. As we go further into the future, that divide is going to get stronger and stronger because the Bible also says that Jesus will make a separation between the sheep and the goats. And if you look in that parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, the central point of that parable is how they as individuals and as nations treat the Jewish people. It's imperative that we cling to the word of God and that we really do have God's mindset about the Jewish people and Israel. Because a lot of people in the church, they are falling away from that biblical worldview. It doesn't surprise me that a lot of these college-age students are standing more and more with the Palestinian people rather than the nation of Israel and the Jews. I always think about words and what they mean. Whenever anybody wants to know which university you went to, which college did you go to, they ask you what your alma mater is. And alma mater means nurturing mother. Who nurtured you? Who raised you up to believe certain things? And it's not your family of origin anymore. It's not the church you grew up in. It's not the church you attend right now, but it's the college that you're going to. It's the social media that you partake of. It's the mainstream media that comes through like 98% now of all the channels where you can get any kind of news 
That doesn't mean, of course, that if you care about the Muslim people because you want to reach out to the refugees or you really have a burden for them because you know that they do need Christ. doesn't mean that if you care about the Arabs, you care about the Muslims, that you're being informed by the world. But we can do that while at the same time holding on to the biblical worldview of the Jews and the nation of Israel. In fact, I'm going to say that a little bit stronger. We not only can do that, but we must do that. Why? Because Arabs who become Christians, they also have a destiny. And as we've talked about in previous podcasts, their destiny is to be united with the Jewish people. Both Jew and Gentile together as one make up the church, and that is the church that Jesus Christ is coming back for. We can't be waffling on these positions or these mindsets, but we need to be very clear on what we believe and what we'll embrace and who we will stand with so that we can share that with other people. We need to toe the line. If there are those places where we have listened to the world more than we have been informed by the Bible, then that is going to compromise our message. And it will adversely affect not only our destiny, but other people's destinies as well. Yes, that's a heavy statement, but it's the truth. So I'm going to go back to Romans 9, and these are verses 10 through 16. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. And I'm going to stop right there. And we need to talk about election because the Jews are God's chosen people. And it has nothing to do with their track record because their track record isn't so good. It's dismal, but it's not about them being good enough or about them having certain qualities that were admirable or noble or redemptive, but it simply was because God chose them for his own reasons. We can see that when it says that God chose Jacob over Esau, and this was before either of them did anything good or evil. In Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8, it says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. So by outward appearance, Israel wasn't anything special, but God still chose them to be a special people unto himself. This should give us a sense of huge relief because God chose us not because there was anything special about us, but because he chose to set his affection upon us. And we know that. So when I think about myself, I know how I am. I know how many mistakes I've made. I know the ways that I can come short. 
And sometimes I think, well, why did God choose me? But I'm so glad that he did. And there's no particular reason for it. And that's a good thing because if there isn't a strong reason why he chose me, then there's no way that I can lose his love. And so you think about human relationships. So maybe this guy marries this girl because she's beautiful. Um, But what happens when she gets older? Maybe she gets into a car accident and it disfigures her face. So she's no longer beautiful. So does that mean that he stops loving her? Or it could be because somebody is kind and compassionate. But what about those times when they're not so kind and compassionate to you because they're angry and upset and they go through some weird situation where for months they're in this funk and they don't want to treat you all that well. So do you stop loving them? So our human love is based on all of these positive qualities that we see in our object of affection. But God is like saying, No, there's nothing in you or about you that I'm specifically pointing out. That's not why I chose you because the reason for my choice is not in the object of my love, but it is in me because I am the lover and I have chosen to set my affection upon you. And God specifically says that to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 through what Paul wrote. He said, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So when I reflect upon myself, I mean, it's not necessarily a self-esteem issue, but I recognize that I am a lot of these things. I'm just not the type of person that the world would choose, but I'm okay with that because I know that God has chosen me and that's what makes me special. That's what makes me get up in the morning and feel like I can do all of these things because this person who is incredible, who is amazing, has chosen to love me. And this kind of unconditional love flies in the face of our society's humanism because humanism is basically elevating mankind, that we can be our own saviors. We can create a society that is perfect apart from God. Then we judge and evaluate by how people are. That's why when the Antichrist does come on the scene, he is above every politician, every strong man that has ever been. He is like the pinnacle of humanity. I mean, the number 666, it's the height of mankind, whereas God's number is 777. There's something to that. And that's why back in the Old Testament, Saul was chosen as Israel's first king. The nation wanted a king and Saul fit every bit the picture of the king that they wanted. He was head and shoulders above everybody. And so when humanism looks at Israel and the Jews and their record of disobedience and how they failed God time and time again, of course, replacement theology would be part of the picture because it's a performance-based situation. But God has made a covenant with the nation of Israel to give them the land of Israel, and that is unconditional. 
It's not based on merit. It's not based on performance. It's not based on whether they did everything that God had asked them to do. Because when God made that covenant with Abraham, it was an unconditional covenant. If you remember, when they made a covenant in the old days, they would cut up these animals in different pieces, cut them in half, and then both parties would have to walk through the cut up animals, stating that if I fail to fulfill this covenant, then let it be done unto me. But in that particular covenant, God was the only one that walked through the cut up pieces of animal. Abraham was asleep. So it's up to God to fulfill that covenant, even when Abraham and his descendants fail. So replacement theology is definitely not biblical. And again, it flies in the face of our society wanting to lift up humanism as the only way to think about life and to evaluate things is through that humanistic lens rather than that biblical worldview. And we need to remember too that humanism is human-centric, not God-centric. And the Bible presents a worldview that is God-centric, not human-centric. It presents a worldview that has an absolute authority, not subjective opinion and experience. So again, we have the world and God at polar opposites. It doesn't mean, of course, that God doesn't care about human experience, human emotions, how people feel about different things that happen, but he is the absolute authority. Even in the midst of this podcast, I didn't even get to the because I said so part, but that will probably happen next week in part two. I just hope that this has laid a good foundation for us to get to that point where we talk about that and why it's so important to embrace that cross because it is a cross for human nature. We do have that humanistic streak within us where we feel like we can determine, we can judge, we can evaluate right from wrong, that we know better than God how to live our lives or how to judge particular situations. Because our original mother and father ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Whereas the tree of life symbolizes absolute trust in God, listening to his voice and doing everything his way, walking in obedience to his voice. Which is why Paul felt it necessary to respond to that accusation against God in Romans 9, where it says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. So God is not unrighteous in what he's telling us, in what he's asking of us, in what he is asking us to believe and how to perceive the world and the various situations. He's not unrighteous in any of that. He is alone righteous in his judgments, in his wisdom. And so that is what I embrace. And that's what I'm encouraging everybody else to embrace, even in the midst of these simple situations, but they do have their complexity. So I hope that you will consider, you will review, you will think through everything that was shared because this is a major deal in today's world. And it is a major deal in the heart of humanity. Thank you for listening. I appreciate every single one of you. And I hope that you will return next time as we continue on with this topic. Until then, God bless you and take care.